Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Um, Before I introduce my guests, as I do sometimes, I invite you, the thing you can do to help this podcast reach other people is to rate the podcast um, and give a written review of the podcast. I also appreciate all that you're doing um, to share my book with others and leave a review. The book is Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It's at Amazon at Desert Book. And I appreciate you if you have time to leave a review there of the book. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Jeffrey Scott Parsons. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thank you, Richard. Um, This podcast has been brewing since September of 2019, and that's pre-COVID. That seems like a lifetime ago, Jeff. And it was our mutual friend, Jeff Wise, in September of 2019 that um, talked about you and um, the idea of doing this podcast together. And so I'm glad we're finally doing it. Me too. Jeff, by way of introduction, is in his late 30s. He's single. He's a Latter-day Saint. He's gay. He grew up in Willard, Utah. He went to BYU, um, got a degree in music, dance, and theater, and really ever since then has been using those talents professionally and living in the LA area for um, over 10 years, currently on an assignment here in Salt Lake City, Served a Spanish-speaking mission. Uh, most of that was in the Fort Worth and also the West Texas area. And um, Jeff, hope for the future for him is to find a husband, to have kids, and be able to participate as much as possible in the church. And and this platform is just a chance for people to share their stories and to honor everybody's story. And um, I do like Elder Cook's quote that I use a lot recently. It's um, finding unity and diversity. And, and we're all the same human family. And this is an attempt to try to create unity in, in all of our differences. Um, so I honor Jeff's hopes. Um, I don't invite people to go down certain paths. I always invite people to follow church teachings, but if someone feels their path is like Jeff's path, who's been on this road for a long time, he would like to have a husband, like to have his kids share his life with somebody and participate in the church. I just honor that. Well, thank you. And I want you to be able to fulfill your dreams and I will walk with you on that road. I like our primary song, I'll walk with you and, and honor your hopes and dreams and leave any judgment to our Savior and his perfect understanding. Are you okay with that introduction? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we both just said a prayer and our hope in these podcasts is that Jeff, as he shares his story, it'll be give you um, listeners a nugget or two that'll help you on your road, whether you're an ally, whether you're a parent or whether you're LGBTQ. Jeff's been on this road for a while. And often my guests that have been on this road for a while have kind of a long view and um, a lot of life experiences and often have perspective that's helpful, especially for those of you that are perhaps just realizing this part about you. So let's go back to pre-mission, Jeff. Um, Let's just go ahead and start sharing your story wherever you want to start. That's so kind of you. Thank you for having me here. Truly. I'm, I'm, I'm honored and touched. And even when I hear you say things like LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, I'm like, Oh, like I'm still not used to people being able to say those words uh, so naturally. And it, it does my heart good. So thank you. Um, and you know, <laughs> this just popped into my brain, but when COVID happened and my musical theater industry was just, I mean, leveled, right. Completely leveled. destroyed. 
there was uh, there was no work, and I had the the opportunity to come to Utah, spend more time with my family, teach dance, and in doing so, I I made a specific intention to be a leader, to come and share and maybe even teach the Wasatch Front what I have learned over the past however many years that I couldn't have learned on the Wasatch Front, and maybe explore why, and when. I got here almost immediately. I was reminded that being a good leader involves more listening than talking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, here, I thought I was going to be giving these sermons and opening everyone's mind, and very quickly, uh, I was humbled and and realized, oh yeah, being a leader is is all about listening. So that's my very long winded way of saying thank you for being a good leader and listening. Uh, Thank you, Jeff. Well, there, there's just no, there's um, no replacement for that. In terms of my life, um, I think sometimes queer Latter Day Saints we have a lot in common with Joseph Smith because we're <laughs> we're often expected to uh, condense a lifetime of experience into one one experience that happened in adolescence, and, and then somehow uh, make that reverberate through the ages. And, and so if you don't mind, I'd love to talk, to talk about my childhood because being an artistic kid growing up in a farm town um, was incredibly informative to who I am now. Uh, I was born to uh, goodly parents and, um, and I'm third of five. So I'm smack in the middle. And even though we were all on my grandpa's farm property, like that's where our home was, so very much uh, involved in baling hay and feeding cows and all of that. I kind of out of the gate was a very artistic, creative kid. I loved singing. I loved dancing. And luckily, I had a family who loved me and supported me and were also pretty creative themselves. So we sang as a family. We very much Osmonded it up and uh, and. I have so many great memories of my childhood. My parents were also incredibly supportive in helping me find my thing. So when it came time to get passionate about something, we tried t-ball, we tried soccer, we tried karate, nothing was sticking. And then one day we were at the county fair, literally the county fair, like I said, farm town. We were at the county fair and there is, a, you know, there's a stage usually there in the center of the fair where local groups can perform. And I saw a clogging group, clogging being like a country Western form of tap dance. And I pointed to them and I said, that's what I want to do. And God bless my parents. They were like, okay, let's do it. So I spent a good majority of my, I, I guess, uh, tween years competitively clogging. And that's how I found dance. Dance then led me to local community theater and musicals and musical theater. That was when I found my passion. I mean, truly musical theater became the filter, like the Instagram filter, if you want to think of it that way, of how I began to see and relate to the world. Stepping into these stories, pretending to be other people. I learned empathy, but I also learned history. It I, I think those are probably the two most important things about my childhood. I had a family that loved me and I had a creative outlet. And those two things have saved my life over and over again. 
Um, let's see what what happened after that. After uh, as I continued doing theater, um, I was still a very very obedient kid. Yeah, very diligent. Had very specific goals. I was going to go on a mission. I was going to come home from that mission honorably. Get married. Have kids. Temple marriage. And that was what I was focused on. And there was no question in my mind or even another option that was possible for my brain. That was what was going to happen. And I went on my mission, which was a glorious experience, served stateside. I was just doing an interview uh, last week and they asked me where I went and I said, Texas. And they're like, oh, well, at least you didn't have to go to Russia or, you know, whatever it was. I'm so sick of that because being stateside, and this is going out there to all of um, <clears throat> all of my <laughs> my youngins, maybe who are planning to go on a mission. Going stateside provides you with such an incredible opportunity to figure out why you are on your mission. You know, sometimes when we're in another country, um, as members of the church, <laughs> you can almost confuse the hope of America with the hope of the gospel, that you're coming to people's doors with this world, right? That may be foreign to them. When you are in your own country, when you are in West Texas in a trailer park, walking around and thinking, I'm just a kid who likes to sing and dance and wear sequins. Shouldn't there be somebody here who likes to shoot guns? You know, why am I here? Those are the moments that I treasure because it really caused me to, uh, to, to stand up in my own life and, and, and take accountability. Anyway, that being said, mission was awesome. Came home from the mission. Still haven't had any real gay urges. It, do we even say that? That sounds so horrible. It's okay. But, um, but like no crushes on the companions, which I know may dash a lot of people's fantasies. But no, no crushes on the companions. Come home. Here's the thing, though. No desire to date. Not in high school, not during the mission, not after the mission. 0.0 desire to date. And the joke I would often make was dating seems a little immature. I'm going to skip right to marriage. Like that was, that was my joke. And, um, but there was a degree of truth to it just be, because I had no, no de- desire to do so. <clears throat> Now, this is when I'm going to bring kind of a farm metaphor into everything because I believe I had blinders on. Blinders are things that we put on horses. Do you, do you know blinders? I do. So what, what's your understanding of, of blinders? It makes somebody more obedient for a horse. Exactly. It makes them, yeah. It's specifically if they're pulling something, right? You put blinders on the horse so they can focus straight ahead and they're not going to get spooked by anything um, in their peripheral vision. And I had on my blinders to, and I've even heard this uh, metaphor used in church to keep on the straight and narrow path we put on our blinders. But here's the thing. Number one, not a horse, spoiler alert, right? I'm a human. But, but also number two, we put blinders on horses because we're dealing with very sensitive, frightened animals. And we're not really interested in solving that problem. So we created something to put over their eyes to kind of be a Band-Aid, right? That's not how it works with humans. 
when we have parts of ourselves that are underdeveloped or ignored, they don't just die. They will manifest themselves and usually in a dysfunctional way. And that's kind of a big point that I want to give to everybody who might be listening is, is an undeveloped sexuality will only lead to a dysfunctional first sexual encounter. That's what happened to me. It wasn't 100% consensual. It set up a pattern that took me further away from my sexuality and made it that much harder to leave the dysfunction because now I'm in the cycle. Now I'm in the, the laundry machine just churning in that trauma. My point being that, uh, that now I could no longer avoid my sexuality and I had to clean up some messes while I was doing it. Um, Thanks for being honest with this. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening. I just realized I've been talking nonstop. Feel free to interrupt me at any time. (laughs) They can hear me anytime. We (laughs) want to hear from you, Jeff. How many of these have you done? You'll be like 398-ish. So there's a lot of podcasts out there. So Insane. That's incredible. Congratulations. Um. When I tried to finally make sense of it, I went to a priesthood leader and that didn't go so well. Uh, I went to my bishop and I've often said that I was looking for mercy in the form of pity. (laughs) I think that was my best case scenario I was hoping for. What he ultimately said to me, actually it was a very short thing that he said to me. He said, uh, I don't think you're ready to accept responsibility for your actions. Then he gave me the God love of his children pamphlet, which I still have PTSD about. And, and then as I left the office, he said, and don't talk to anybody about this. And the first part about me not being ready to be accountable or responsible for my actions. The truth is he was kind of right about that. I had been so unwilling to look at every part of myself that it took something like this to wake me up. The second half, though, about not talking about it with anybody left me feeling alone. And look, we have to figure out things on our own, but we don't need to figure out things all alone. You know what I mean? There's a difference. And so I then spent the next however amount of time feeling like I needed to go through this whole experience by myself. Once again, my two lifesavers, my family loved me, and I had a creative outlet. I could get on stage when I hated myself and pretend to be somebody else that I liked a little bit better. And and usually because it's a musical, it ends with a wedding. And so I could marry a girl and my family could come see that and it would make me feel better about myself. And then people would applaud at the end. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? So those little moments really kept me, uh, kept me afloat while I was figuring, figuring out my stuff. Uh, the problem there, there comes a point where the applause is never enough. And, um, and as I tried to own my sexuality more and start dating. Those didn't work out. 
And I immediately uh, decided it was because they were doomed anyway. There was no way for a, a same-sex relationship to be blessed by, by God. So, of course, they failed. And I took myself to LDS Family Services and started doing counseling with a therapist there. Asked her to take me through some, a workbook about dealing with what they then called same-sex attraction, SSA. And I always laughed because the book was called Evergreen, which is a Barbara Streisand song. Like, if you were going to pick something. That I didn't know that. <laughs> Evergreen, Academy Award winning Barbara Streisand song. Um, if you were going to pick something that wanted to distance itself from gay culture a little bit more, maybe stay away from Babs. Anyway, um, so we went through a, a great deal of that workbook, which, look, therapy and introspection is always helpful. But the problem there was, and I, keep, I think that's my new phrase for this entire conversation. The problem there is that I knew all of the answers. My relationship with the gospel and my testimony and the way that, uh, that I studied it meant that intellectually, I always had an answer for the work- workbook about who I wanted to be and what my spiritual goals were. And inevitably, the therapy session would end with, the with the very kind woman saying, well, you sound great. Everything's fine. And then I would leave the session and think, then why do I feel so horrible? Um, eventually, I left that therapy. Uh, Just a question on yes, that therapy. Course, Was it conversion therapy to change your sexual orientation or, or not? I don't know. We were getting to the place of being very cautious about what it was. Uh, I, I want to say it was like conversion therapy light. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, so, so fine. definitely related. I, around that same time, Prop 8 happens in California. Have you heard of Prop 8? Yeah. So for those who may not know, Prop 8 was this thing on the California ballot where uh, it was possible to ban same-sex marriage. Uh, from a constitutional place. And the church really took uh, a, a firm stance in wanting this to pass and encouraging all of its members to, uh, to make it happen. Um, I had never stopped going to church. I didn't feel the desire to like give the church the bird and walk away. And obviously I was going through therapies at that time. So around that, that period... I would be in a sacrament meeting listening to somebody, you know, uh, sob about how their car had been vandalized for having a yes sticker on it. And then 30 minutes later, I'd be in a dressing room getting ready for a Sunday matinee of a musical, listening to a castmate talk about how he's been with his partner for 20 years and how their car got, you know, uh, (laughs) uh, trashed for having their sticker on it. And I, it really started tearing me apart. And, um, and I, I specifically remember praying and just, there are those moments, there are those moments in your life when prayer hits a whole new level of humility, you're right? Like this is sackcloth and ashes where you're like, I got nothing. All of my, these thousand thines are completely out the door. Let's just talk, God, I need some help. And this was definitely one of those moments I asked what I should do. And the, the, 
very specific impression I got was this was my opportunity to lean in and love both sides. Not from like a respectable distance, but like uncomfortable. Lean in wholeheartedly, get to know both sides. And when I did that, that's when things started finally clicking for me. Because all of a sudden, I didn't need anybody on either side to tell me that you can't be gay and a member of the church because I was one. I was the bridge. I was the pioneer. And like, to hell with anybody who said differently. Like, you can't tell me I'm not here. I'm literally standing in front of you as a witness to this. So that was a huge moment for me, that, that, that whole experience. Um, but I still had plenty of crap to work through. So I went to a different therapist, one that was outside of the church. I was terrified. I was afraid I was going to go to a therapist outside of the church and they were going to say, you need to leave your religion. This is not doing you any good. She did not because she was a good therapist. Um, and I really started working through uh, just the, the layers that I had been either ignoring or resenting. And that allowed me to be more myself. I would go to church and all of a sudden speak of who I am and be more open. And I had more friends because of it. It was exactly the opposite of what I thought was going to happen. I thought I would get called in for a disciplinary council. I'd be excommunicated and that would be that. Instead, all of a sudden, I had invitations to come to people's houses for dinner. That had never happened before in my relationship with the church because I had been so closed off and um, trying to figure out how, how to be me. How to be me when I had two sides that seemed to never meet up. Um, and, and I'm incredibly grateful for my Burbank ward, my Burbank, California ward, because I have so many friends there and uh, they have come to see my shows. They uh, are incredibly supportive and um, they've, they've taken my dog food when I've been out of town and couldn't, uh, wasn't able to, to get to him. And uh, anyway, I, I feel very supported and loved in that way. And, and I'm very grateful. There's a lot of great stuff in that we just <laughs> shared, Jeff. And um, thank you for that segment. Um, I I like when people appropriately share difficult church experiences like you had with that bishop or that therapist. And I think listeners, for me, I can support and sustain our church and sit with somebody as they share their difficult experiences. We're not a perfect church. I was not a perfect leader. I'm not a perfect member. I'm not a perfect podcast host. But I think when we sit with people as they share difficult experiences that are church-generated, I think that helps heal them. And I, this is a safe place for that. And, and not be dismissive of those kind of experiences. You probably have more you could share. And you may, may. So, and if I'm a local leader listening, it helps me to know how to do better. So I just appreciate that. I appreciate, um, I'm struck with Prop 8. And you're in the middle of Prop 8, and and you realize you can't be on either side of this issue because you're both. Mm -hmm. And your humble prayer and the personal inspiration revelation you got to be both. 
And that's what you've been doing ever since. Because when we introduced you in this podcast host, we introduced you as, you know, <laughs> somebody wants to participate in the church and someone who's gay. Yeah. And uh, there's no owner's manual um, written down for your road, but in a way, listeners, there is. And Jeff is teaching us that that roadmap, that owner's manual, is its personal relationship from heavenly parents who love us. And nothing, even though you felt shame, I would think for some of the things you mentioned earlier in the podcast, nothing you can do can take you outside the love of your heavenly parents. I think we should be taught that more directly because I think people who feel like I'm not quite in a position where I can reach out to my heavenly parents, they really don't love me and really wouldn't help me if they, you know, where I am right now. Yeah. How many times did I not turn to the Lord with relationship problems because I thought he didn't care? And I think that's terrible because I could have blessed so many lives. You know, I could, I, I could have blessed either the people I was with or myself by turning to a divine source of inspiration. But I didn't think that that line existed and I was so wrong. Did you ever date women? I dated one gal. Um, and it was, it was sweet. I had a crush on her because she sang really, really good. <laughs> it's a she, great reason to have a crush on her. And she was awesome. Look, we love our divas. And she was and she was one of those. She was singer, dancer, actress, and um and I think the world of her, and she's married and has lots of kids now. Um but I am very grateful I didn't drag anybody into this before I started figuring out stuff for myself. So just keep telling your story. Well, you know, what, something that struck me as you were talking um, about, about teaching that the love of God is available to everybody. I think sometimes the message concerning the atonement of Christ that we get as, as uh, LGBTQ members of the church is that there is a place for us, right? That no matter what you've done, uh, you are welcome to the table, come as you are. And that's beautiful and that's really sweet. But if I'm being completely honest, the true miracles that I have seen regarding the atonement in my life has been forgiving the people in the church who did me wrong. It's honest. And I'm telling you, there, there, are, huh. there was a moment when I realized, oh my gosh, I'm not the prodigal son. I'm the other guy who needs to be okay when a certain population of the church realizes that I've been ignored for a really long time. And to call upon my Savior and ask for, and really ask humbly, I would be driving to church and be thinking, Heavenly Father, help me to not want to smack that man across the face when I walk into sacrament meeting today, right? But that fount of love and forgiveness is always there and it never runs dry if we're willing to tap into it. And the mantra I kept telling myself, oh my gosh, I'm always so emotional. Sorry, everybody. I'm an actor. I have all the emotions. Um, the mantra I kept telling myself was show up and show love. And every time I, um, I would tap into that, um, you know, like the, the forgiveness would fill my heart. 
And I'd be like, they just don't know any better. But maybe someday they will. And um, I won't be poisoning my soul in the meantime by holding resentment and, and anger. And look, it still hurts. You know, it still hurts. And it some, should hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I wonder, I'm like, should I send a passive aggressive email to somebody that's like, thank you for helping me get closer to my savior by treating me so horribly. Like, <laughs> is that a thing that I should do? And ultimately, it, it usually comes from a place of ego. And I realize if I want validation for trauma, I probably shouldn't go to the source of the trauma. That doesn't sound like a very healthy way to go about it. But, um, but I don't have any easy answers for helping, um, helping other people be accountable for their actions in the same way that I was invited to be accountable for mine. Um, maybe having conversations like this is one of them, though. I'm just struck by that segment. Um, I wrote down Moroni 7, um, the things that we teach about gentle persuasion, love and fame. Um, charity. Charity is the pure love of Christ. And I also think of the scripture, wounded in the house of my father. I think that's an Old Testament scripture. And I, mm. and that's what's happened to you is it, wounded in, it may not be the house of my father. It's just wounded in a house of where it should be a house of safety. But one of the things that, you know, show up and show love is what you just said. And to me, you know, we just come out of general conference. I think we both watched that. And I look at, you know, we talk about living the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then when you talk about this experience, it's doing it in real life. And what do you do if you're a gay Latter-day Saint and you go to church and you hear unkind things about you um, because you're part of a minority group that you can't control? Mm -hmm. um, and you've had a bunch of that <laughs> in your life. and. You know, Steve Young calls you guys the warriors. Hmm. I was on a call with him today and he just talked about the warriors. And then he talks, talked today about just that you have helped him understand the law of love wow. and how to love and support and be kind and turn and come with that through the pain you felt firsthand that helps you understand the atonement of Jesus Christ because it's not theoretical to you. Hmm. You know, I've never felt closer to my ancestors. Why? Because when they were walking to Salt Lake, they couldn't point to somebody else and be and say, I'm doing it like them, so I know I'm okay. And <clears throat> even though in some, in, in some ways I, I feel bad that I had to do it by myself, that's faith, y'all. Um. And sometimes I'm like, oh, poor straight people. They don't, <laughs> they have so many people they can point to, to make themselves feel better about their choices or their faith. And I just haven't had that, um, which means I've made a lot of mistakes. Uh, but I've also never questioned my relationship with God because I know that it's mine and nobody else's. Why have you not left the church? I've literally never had the, the desire. I get messages from LGBTQ investigators at times. Mm. And what would you say to a gay man 
in his 20s or 30s that wants to join a Christian church and is interested in our church and maybe other Christian churches, some that maybe even quote unquote more affirming Mm. and would allow a same-sex couple to fully participate. Would you give that person anything unique about our church and why they should consider our church? Or would you say that's just something you've got to work out with God and I'm not going to give you any specific. (laughs) um, I'm sort of taking you back to your mission in Texas, but with a whole different set of circumstances. Do you know what's interesting? I, uh, for the longest time, would have these really vivid dreams where I would be back on my mission, like specific areas, and I would see the streets, but it would be just a little bit different. And, um, And then I wrote a show about my experience as a gay Latter-day Saint. And when I started performing it, I stopped having those dreams. I think in some way, in some subconscious way, I wanted to be able to get back to that sharing of my testimony. And, um, and so to do it in a very raw, real, hopefully funny (laughs) way with lots of tap dancing, um, that, that maybe I was doing that in some small way. But to answer your question. Tell our listeners the name of the show. Oh, the show was called Comfy because it was all about getting comfortable with the most uncomfortable parts of your life. Um, they tend to be the most formative. And, and so I wanted to encourage people to laugh along with me about all of these little forks in the road that have popped up, whether it's, you know, me, uh, feeding cows and being obsessed with sequins or, uh, or, you know, wanting to, uh, worship a church and, and also love a man. So, um, how could, I'm, we're going to get to that question from how can people find the show? Is it online? Can people watch it? I did it. Is it? No, it's not. It's online. not recorded I anywhere. I never recorded it. I did. I did it in LA a bunch and, and San Diego a bunch, and then also took it up to, uh, um, Silicon Valley. I did it in Salt Lake at That's the Affirmation great. Conference. Um, it was just something I needed to get out of my system. I probably won't do it anymore. But That's I'm. But great I, job doing it. Oh, thank you. Uh, but I'm excited to to do lots of new types of shows that I think are even um, maybe meeting us where we are now even more. Um, sorry, I'm still trying to get back to your question because it was such a good question. What would I tell of an investigator? Uh, an LGBTQ investigator looking at the church, I would say that the teachings of the gospel are part of my DNA. And I really love my DNA. Um, So I would highly encourage them to get to know them as well. Because uh, I am a better person for being raised in the church for having parents who gave me the example they did. And, um, and that's all there is to it. You can't avoid pain. And so COVID has specifically taught me that. We go to a great, great lengths to avoid discomfort in our lives uh, or even to try and erase discomfort for our children and you can't do it. It's going to happen. But if we get comfortable with the discomfort, you might be surprised what you find. That's a great answer. 
and I give a similar answer. I just, you know, I, you know, I, there are LGBTQ people getting baptized into our church and there are LGBTQ people leaving our church and people like you staying. And I do love some of the beautiful, unique restored doctrine that came through the restoration, the idea of heavenly parents, personal relationship, the atonement you've talked about, plan of salvation. There's just unique, beautiful doctrine that I, and I think the world is pretty, you know, one of the things that I believe is we're all kind of wounded, Jeff. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think we all need the atonement to heal us from our woundedness. And that's one of, I think we have great insights into the power of the atonement. There's sin related part of the atonement that we teach pretty young. Um, in the repentance process, but there's this other side of the atonement that's become clearer to me as I'm aging up is just all the pain that's not anybody's fault related, that just is part of mortality that is really wounding. Mm. The pandemic, to your point, is really wounding. Maybe, maybe to be honest, for less like me, I'm kind of an introvert, and um, but for other people that are, but I just, even for introverts, it's probably been wounding. Talk about, um, you would love to participate more in the church. Um, you don't hold the temple recommend. Um, and so I've always felt like our, con- you know, so bishops sometimes don't know what to do with members that don't hold the temple recommend and aren't working to get a temple recommend. But I think at the same time, we should help everybody feel welcome mm-hmm. at the congregation level. And just to give more context to that, we've, we both listened to conference. We're recording this right after April 2021 conference. And Elder Gong and Elder Ballard both talked about how the majority of the adults in the church are not married. And you and you are not married. Mm-hmm. And he talked to Elder Ballard, I remember in particular, talked about people need to f- a feeling of belonging. And that seems to be one of the things that the brethren are picking up on is that a lot of people don't feel a feeling of belonging in their ward, and it may be related to their marital status, but it may also be related to they just don't feel they're being put to work and their talents are needed. And I think being put to work and and being valued and building up the congregation creates a sense of belonging and creates authentic connection. And so with that kind of long lead-in, talk about how you'd love to be better Just talk about your hopes within your word. Yeah. I remember a conversation I had with a bishop once, and he said that his, um, that his, one of his main mantles of responsibility was to help each member of his ward go to the temple. I completely understand that. And he said, is that something that you can do right now? And I very honestly said no. Um, not because I didn't want to, by all means, I would love to go to the temple. But even when I was going to the temple, I wasn't worthy to do so according to the rules. I was being very dishonest with myself and my fellow men. So, uh, so I was trying to take care of that one. <laughs> um, anyway, but once after that conversation, then I disappeared. I feel like I became a little bit invisible in terms of, once again, incredibly supportive ward with lots of friends, but in terms of the organization that we love so much, <laughs> we're studying Doctrine and Covenants this week, or sorry, this year. And when we were going through the section all about the 
the perfect organization of the church, I couldn't help but feel a little bitter because I'm like, I don't fit into this perfect organization. It favors everyone else. And I kind of stand by the the wayside with my talents and abilities really not being being used. And it's not that I haven't tried. Good heavens. I, I remember I was in elders quorum and they were talking about going to the temple and I was sitting there pondering to myself, how can I help this quorum reach their goal of temple activity? And so I spoke up and said, you guys, if I want to be able to help here. So if you need babysitters in order for you and your wife to go to the temple, I will do that. Wow. And I, then I left because I cry all the time. I then left church and like cried in my car for a couple minutes because I hadn't expected to say that. It just came out. And then I didn't hear anything. Wow. And, um, and then I, uh, I asked if I could be, um, a min- like have ministering families because I am not afraid to go knock on doors and get to know people and, and talk to people. I'm, that's kind of one of the things about my career is that I'm constantly meeting new people and having to speak in front of them. And, um, and then I kept getting the the feedback of, oh, well, we're just, we're still trying to figure out what families go with what families. And two years later, still never received ministering families. I asked if I could, um, have any other sort of calling. I feel like I'd be a great primary chorister. I'm not, a, I'm not one of those people who's like, I sing for a living. I don't want to sing in, in ward choir. I, I've repented of that kind of thinking for <laughs> long ago. Um, and I had a bishop said, well, we really love having you sing in sacrament meeting. Like, like, like that was the one thing that I could do. So then I texted a membership, a member of the bishopric this past year and said, I would love to prepare a number for our Zoom sacrament meeting. Awesome. Great. Never heard back. So that leads me to think that it may be one of three things, possibly all three things. Number one, we're disorganized. Very possible. Number two, there's a personal bias. Totally possible. Number three, there's something in the handbook that I'm not aware of that is keeping me from being seen and used. It may be a combination of all three of those things. But I will say that the Relief Society is really great about asking me to take dinner to an elderly sister who only speaks Spanish. And you're in a home ward. Yes, I'm in a home ward. Love my home wards. Um, so if the Relief Society can do it, I feel like the priesthood can too. I don't think that's a crazy, a crazy request. Uh, but it does feel very defeating to be in a relationship where you feel like you always need to convince people that you're worthy to be there. It gets exhausting. Um, and Those are good words. Yeah. Anyway, so, so that, that is kind of my experience. I would love to be put to work. And it might be a little controversial and I may say something to like make somebody mad and I'll apologize or I won't apologize. But, (laughs) but I have really gained a testimony and maybe this goes back to your question about what to say to people who are, are investing in the church. I don't think we should be worshiping with people we always agree with. There are plenty of people in the world that I like and wouldn't trust 
to watch my dog. But there are so many people in the church that I don't like that I would 100% trust with my dog. <laughs> I think that that's one of the true things we get to exercise when we, when we worship arm in arm with someone that we really don't hold anything in common with other than a desire to be better and to know God. Fascinating. Just my mind's just churning. My <laughs> mind's going to Brene Brown braving the wilderness. Belong to yourself. And just that you are you are that book. <laughs> and it's sometimes you belong everywhere, but you belong nowhere. And you certainly feel that, I bet. You be, you've in all these circles, Jeff. Yeah. All these beautiful communities, but the sense of belonging is almost harder sometimes. But there's beauty in that, but there's pain in that. But mm-hmm. I think I don't think the responsibility is on you. I think the responsibility is on us as local members and local leaders to help create the very best set of belonging. There's a lot of callings that don't even require <laughs> membership. We've in our really? ward, we've had people serving in the scouting program that aren't even members in our ward. In our ward, we had somebody later join the church, teach, you know, occasionally the Sunday school lesson because he knew the Old Testament really well. Wow. Well, just be aware, if you call me a scoutmaster, everybody's like going to learn how to sew and there you do go. theater. So, so just be aware. <laughs> um, could you reach people as a minister in your ward that no one else could reach? I think so. And so I just invite us to be prayerful about, you know, Elder Ballard's asked us to create a feeling of belonging for single adults in particular in conference. Um, and I just invite you know, that's more than half the church and probably that percentage will continue to increase. And he didn't say some of them are LGBTQ, but I think we all know some are. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're single (laughs) and they need to feel like they're needed and can contribute. And I think it's on us to create, now there's some callings that require a temple recommend. You're probably not going to be the elders quorum president or in the elders quorum presidency. You're probably not going to be a teacher. Um, But there's callings that are just less like that. And you've mentioned several of them. Mm. And I don't think the handbook, you know, has a list of callings that require a temple recommend and ones that don't. But I think there's a general feeling that some don't. And I, I've just always felt listeners that the gates wide at the congregation level, there shouldn't be a belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome. I think Elder Uchtdorf taught a principle in his conference talk when he said there's no there should be no sign at the door that says your testimony should be this high to enter. Mm. And I think he's teaching a principle there that we shouldn't create a belief and behavior hurdle to feel welcome. That's for the temple where there is a sign at the door, so to speak. There is a belief. You've got to have a level of belief and you've got to have a level of behavior to go in the temple. And I think you're just at this point in your life saying, that's not where I'm going, but let's let you feel welcome and needed in the congregation because that's a win-win. You're more likely to feel the love of your heavenly parents, to be able to reflect on the Savior, and we're more likely to have your talents to help us. And who knows, the missionaries may bring a gay investigator to church one day. And (laughs) And wouldn't it be cool if you were splitting with the missionaries, talking about you know, this church has unique things and that's why I'm in it. Um, I don't want a 19-year-old facing the questions that I had in my 20s about being a gay member of the church. Are you kidding me? But by all means, take me along. I will, we will get real. We'll get, we'll get real. 
I think there's fear of this gay agenda that you're going to, you know, somehow, and I know that, I hope that's triggering when I say that word out loud to you and to many of our listeners, because I think you don't have an agenda to like change primary kids into being gay or to, you know, some I don't of these, even know what that means. I, I really don't. I know the gay, I mean, that is a whole nother podcast, but I think <laughs> you're just trying to bring people into Christ and feel needed and wanted. And there's should be no perfect love listeners cast without fear. And I don't think we should have fear of people like Jeffrey Scott Parsons that want to worship with us, that somehow that's, that should be a fearful thing. That should be a great thing. And I'm not saying that it's not scary. It is a little scary to, to have a paradigm shift in your life. Right. Once again, we're, we avoid discomfort and pain. And w- if you've looked at life for a, a, a certain way for a very long time, and then my gay butt comes into church and mixes that up, because I think it is easier to demonize gay culture or the gay agenda or whatever you want to call it when we're not at church. But when I show up, all of a sudden it's a little harder to ignore. And maybe that is, um, that's like the punk rock in me that, that likes to, to mix things up. But, um, but it's with love. It's with love. And I feel, I feel it in my heart that I have so much to share. And it doesn't come from a place of fear. So I don't want it to be received that way either. Love that. More things you'd like to share, Jeff? As someone who is part of entertainment and media, um, I, I sometimes hear our approach and, and uh, vantage point on entertainment and media in the church and find it a, a little limiting because everything, not everything, so much of what I have learned about the gospel, about history, about emotion, being emotionally uh, uh, healthy has come from artistic stories. And we are so good at sitting in a Sunday school lesson and talking about the story of Nephi building the ship and mining every little detail that can be applied to our lives. And we're really bad at doing it with a Disney movie, right? Art isn't a babysitting Art isn't a babysitter, I guess is what I want to say. Art is an opportunity to go within just like a parable from Christ. Why do you think Christ picked parables? Because there is a way to personalize and find find deep, deep truths that you can't really just from reading the Ten Commandments, you know? And so I... I really, um, I, I guess once again, from a, a place of, of fear, I, I invite everybody to not fear art. And because oh, as one of my favorite composers, Stephen Sondheim says, God is in the details. You look at any story and if it is a reflection of real life, God will be there. The gospel will be there and it will only work to strengthen your testimony. Love that. I mean, that's, that's why I'm still in this industry. That's why after a year, I'm still waiting for theater to open back up because I believe that this is a way 
for me to continue to grow as a person and to provide opportunities for other people to do so. And it sounds like this has saved your life. I mean, it has. It really has. I, I never got to a place of suicidal thoughts, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And I know it's because of my family and my, my creative opportunities. If any of Jeff's family's listening, thanks for the son you've raised, the, um, the brother the, that you have here, your uncle, <laughs> your friend, and, and your creative family, your artistic family. And I do think sometimes church culture wants to find a bogeyman to kind of pin the world problems on. And and Hollywood sometimes gets that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're messed up. I, I look, we, <laughs> we have our problems. I think, you know, the nuance of that is there's great good in Hollywood and there's problems in Hollywood. And that's true of probably all the spaces out there. And I think we just have to develop better ways of talking um, and finding, you know, just not pinning all the world problems on one thing or one group or one industry because there's great good in Hollywood. Absolutely. Well, there's a, there's a composer, John Rutter. Have you heard of him? No. So he did a lot of choral composing and the tap choir sings his stuff all the time. He was an atheist. I don't know if he's still alive. Forgive me, John, if you're listening. Um, he was an atheist and yet he's created these works that where God is in the details and I think this is what kills, this is what I love about artistic people. Sometimes they're sharing their testimonies and they have no idea. Once again, because if you are creating, I believe the gospel to be real. I believe the, I believe the principles that Christ taught to be real life. And so if you are creating something that is real life, Christ is in there, even if the artist has no idea. So use it. I love that. Will you tell our listeners about Hearth and Oh, absolutely. In the Bay Area and what the wise, who introduced our listeners to the wise family. We've never had them on the podcast. They're great allies and great examples for me. But just tell, share our listeners about the hearth. What an incredible experience this was. So Jeff Wise and his wife, the Wise family, they are, uh, they're I think wonderful. his wife's named Catherine, but I can't remember. I can't remember either. I'm sorry. so sorry, Catherine. Sorry, Sister Wise. <laughs> uh wonderful, wonderful people who have created a support group for anyone who may consider themselves to be LDS and LGBTQ. So many acronyms. Just when you thought that like there couldn't be more acronyms in our church, then we, then I show up and I'm like, you have to use LGBTQIA plus. Anyway, um, they created this support group for anybody wherever they are in their journey to come and feel a part of a family. And, uh, and they'll have monthly activities. I was performing in a show in San Francisco one Christmas. And uh, so I attended their uh, caroling activity where we went and caroled to all of Steve Young's uh, neighbors. <laughs> it was so much fun. And everybody was so kind. And because I met them through that activity while I was uh, away doing a show, they invited me to come bring my one-man show up and do it as a, as an activity for the hearth, and uh, and wow, I that was that was really special to 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 perform it for people who knew exactly where I was coming from, and then also have allies in attendance 
who invited me to go to church the next day and sing one of my songs for the primary kids. That's cool. Like, are you, oh my gosh. What did that it made mean me to so you? Happy. It, it meant the world to me because it meant that when I was on stage sharing part of who, my, who I am, they received it and thought that other people should know who should know about it as well. I mean, that is, that's our goal as missionaries. That's our It's the opposite of creating shame. That's just this, this talent you have. We want you to use that talent. And, um, and uh, that, that's a memory I will, I will always cherish a small little, uh, we were in a, like a middle school sort of auditorium and we had maybe like, I think less than 30 people. It was a small little intimate audience, but the, uh, the spirit was mighty strong. Love that. Yeah. So Jeff and Catherine, we did confirm through some Facebook is stalking. It? it is Catherine. We both were. I'm so sorry, Catherine. We both were, were pretty sure. <laughs> so they are a great couple. Yes. Um, and what, and now there's a hearth in Salt Lake City now and maybe other areas. Um, talk just, will you just talk to young teenage LGBTQ people right now? Yeah. What would you say to somebody who's closeted, hasn't told anybody about this, that just worries about their future, full of fear, high school age LGBTQ Latter-day Saint? Absolutely. I would say you don't need to have all the answers right now. And I think that that's really important in a society that has progressed a lot in a very short amount of time. We forget that 20 years ago, things were very, very different. And, and so now we can be very impatient about you haven't come out yet, or you haven't done this, or there's, there's time. Yeah. What there isn't time, however, is to ignore and feel shame because those things, while they may feel like they're invisible. They're actually taking a toll and creating a lot of damage. So you don't have to have all the answers, but you can definitely start looking at who you are, sharing that with the people you trust, and accepting the love that you will get in return. Because I guarantee you will get love from the people you trust. You may not get love from people you don't trust, and you may not realize you don't trust them until you don't get it. <laughs> but the love that you get can build you up and help you take the next steps and the next steps. And there is no one way to do this. It's actually what I tell people who want to go into performing. What do I do to get on Broadway? There's no one way to do this. And the same goes for, same, same goes for sexuality. Truly, and your testimony. There is no one way to do this, but that's why there's God, an infinite and all loving God who can help you find your way. That's great. So we'll end with that segment. Great finishing segment for younger listeners that are listening. I agree with everything Jeffrey Scott Parsons had said. You are a great man. Oh, I got gotcha, Richard Osler. Thank you. That is in all these different worlds and all these different spaces, um, creating good where you go. And I have a lot of respect and love for you for the life you're living, the good you're doing, um, the joy you're bringing to other people through all your God-given talents. And I just have to feel this is how God made you. And you realize that and your love every bit of, about you. 
And then these talents, including your sexual orientation, is part of your gifts to help our world be a better place. And I think we're doing a better job of embracing every bit of part of you so that you can, we can come together as the same human family and bless each other. So this podcast that's been in the works for a year and a half has finally <laughs> happened. And we're really grateful that our listeners get to hear um, Jeffrey Scott Parsons' podcast. So this is both of us signing off. Thank you.